episode 146 of Friends of Film. We're here to bring you the latest movie news and review the biggest new release, which this week is Halloween. As always, I'm your host, Kaput, and this week I'm joined by Josh Straley. Hello, everyone. If you smell some kind of burning fire through the podcast, which I don't think is possible, but that's me burning my Lakers jersey. Oh, uh, I'm no longer. Already. I'm, a, I'm a Toronto fan now, uh, of course. So They're, They go 0-2, Raptors are 3-0, and and you're switching teams? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what Fairweather fans do. I've always so. been a fan of Kawhi Leonard, Cooper. You oh, know okay. this. I talk about this all the time. I don't Kawhi. think I've ever heard this. No, it's not true at all. <laughs> Just, I mean, listen, yes, they played the number two and number three team in the West mm-hmm. back to back. So in the, they're a new team. So I'm going to give them a little more time. I'm not yeah. actually abandoning ship yet, especially because I don't know where I'm going to swim to. I mean, do, you, <laughs> do, I, do I jump in for the Celtics or do I go in for Toronto? Oh, I don't come on. Know. You can't jump from the Lakers to a title contender. If you're going to switch team, like if you're going to leave the Cavs to go follow LeBron to LA, mm-hmm. like revert back to the Cavs, that's like option number one. Option number two would be like, uh, go be a fan of the Hawks and or, see if Trey Young can turn them into anything. How about the Timberwolves? I hear Jimmy Butler is doing fine. Jimmy Butler loves everybody, so that guy could work. <laughs> He'll be so accepting. He yeah. needs the attention. Um, but if you want to get our attention, you can do so on Twitter at Friends in Film, uh, where you can receive all of our latest updates, what we're thinking about, talking about, um, and what we're following. Mm-hmm. But if you want to know about the, our latest reviews and shows, you can find those on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify now, and basically anywhere podcasts can be found. But if you can, though, on Apple Podcasts, please review us, rate us. All of that ultimately helps rank us and helps us find more friends of the show. Yeah, we're always uh, needy for ranks and reviews, and mm-hmm. we just need more viewers. And friends. who doesn't? <laughs> yeah, we do need more <laughs> friends. Uh, so yeah, Josh, what other than Halloween did you uh, check out this week? I got two movies that I've never seen before watched this week. Okay, the first was Simple Favor. Yeah, just as good and just as funny as you'd said. It gets a little wonky near the end, where I'm yeah. like, "What's going on here, guys?" I'm like, "I don't think the story makes complete sense." But it's just Paul. Fe- it's Paul Feig's best movie, or that and Bridesmaids rival each no, other. No, I, I would, I would agree. I just don't think that's that's the popular opinion. I think people have Bridesmaids on such a high pedestal that it's almost like legendary at this point. Yeah. But I think if you looked at it through a sober lens, it's. They're it's probably fine. on level, but Civil Favor is just so different. But I also checked out Alien vs. Predator. Okay. Um, I'm moving into the Predator phase of my you know, res- resolution to watch all these movies <laughs> two years ago. Um, it's campy. It's like the quintessential campy action movie of the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, Paul Anderson, the director, who is basically crazy. I didn't know he did Resident Evil. I didn't know that he did Death Race um, or Mortal Kombat or Thousands. And I thought that's just... Mm-hmm kind of funny or at least in terms of you know video how about you man uh this week uh it was a busy day especially yesterday on saturday because we didn't record on a normal day Mm -hmm. i basically had the whole day wide open i didn't do anything else besides watch a bunch of movies most of which coincidentally enough starred amanda seyfried but the one i'm going to talk about um actually does star her it's while we're young it's ben stiller naomi watts adam driver and um amanda seyfried and it stars Ben Stiller as this documentary filmmaker who okay. is like in his midlife crisis. He's working on the same doc for 10 years and can't get like, can't get it right. And then mm-hmm. he's teaching a class and a young aspiring documentary uh, filmmaker comes into his class played by Adam driver. They connect what? and they like go on this like journey of like 
you know, making Adam Driver's doc, but then like some other things happen and it's like, it's a really fun movie. Um, Adam Driver is just great. And really the whole cast is Naomi Watts, Ben Stiller, even Seafried. Um, there's some twists and turns that you may not expect or may expect depending on what you're <laughs> thinking about these particular character archetypes that they've uh, okay. set up by Noah Baumbach, the director. But yeah, I thought it was really solid. It's streaming on Netflix currently, so easy to check out. He's, Adam Driver has a fedora? Yeah. Oh, I'm all about this now. Yeah, he, he rides bikes. He uh, <laughs> it, it is it is some very fascinating stuff. Okay, gotcha. But we also checked out Halloween. We did. I wrote the review up for the site, mm. uh, calling it a satisfying return. Uh, I think that pretty much just sums up my thoughts. I think the movie is very good. It's not, I've only seen the first Halloween mm-hmm. because I only watched it because this new movie says they don't matter. Right. So I'm not going to see them. And so this one isn't quite up to par, um, even though I don't have the same affinity, I guess, for the franchise or that first movie as many others do. But um, uh, she is very cool. Um, the family dynamic between her and Andy Madikat, you know, for story purposes. Mm-hmm. But then by the end, it's kind of supposed to be like, we're all together now. Yeah. And I, I don't think they did enough, a good enough job of getting them from being a splinter to a completely united family to kind of make that emotional payoff, I think worth it for me. Um, even though I do, st- I, I do think that Andy Maddock did a really good job as the granddaughter, Allison and Judy Greer. I thought she was good with what she was given, but she's not given a lot. And some of her dialogue, I think is probably some of the weaker um, portions of the movie, but uh, overall, I mean, it's got the thrills. It's got the fun kills. It is um, surprisingly, it is much more funny than the original John Carpenter movie. Um, probably because, of uh what's his face helped write yeah so he helped write the script along with david gordon green the director um so especially uh gardner and he is <laughs> he cracked me up literally anytime he spoke it was so good um but yeah i mean it's got more jokes than you may expect but it's got enough thrills kills mm-hmm. um suspense to i think keep people engaged and uh if you buy into the story thing a little bit more than i did you'll come away very much um satisfied yeah. and appreciative of what this new offering has. So I'm going to give it three and a half ticket stubs out of five. Josh, what about you? Oh uh, yeah. Jabril. He's like, I know what Alakazam is. Yeah. That means you're going to smoke weed. <laughs> and then it just leads into basically everything else. Um, okay. But what I, I've also thought he was hilarious. Easily the best part of the movie. If you're looking for laughs, um, yeah. because he's just five to six minutes of just nonstop like uh he didn't just go there did he that's pretty funny uh type stuff um but this is the best halloween movie i've ever seen by far but it's the only halloween movie i've seen so Uh. i guess you should take that with a grain of salt um we already talked about it's explicitly funny in a lot of places and that really endeared me to it um a lot uh but the main thing is like you just said it's packed with some gruesome kills uh specifically one terrifying moment where it's a one i think it's a one take or there's a couple there's a couple dark crosses so it could be patched together but it's michael just going into the first two or three houses back in town and um slitting and beating people to death and it is it is harrowing to say the least um especially when he yeah, there's some teases of like potential victims, and it's like, oh no, he isn't gonna do that with a baby, and it's like, ooh. So some of that stuff is crazy, but he's definitely a force. This is my first time seeing him in action. I don't know if he was more finesse back in the earlier Halloween, but here he's just brutal, mm-hmm. um, head bashing, 
throat slitting, stapling people to walls with steak knives and things like that. So it's all right there. Um, and like, who's going to rival this dude? He's just out for blood, but it's Laurie Strode. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Lee Curtis, who I haven't seen the first one, mm-hmm. but and I haven't seen really in anything other than Christmas with the Cranks. No, she's not in that movie. That's Diane Keaton. Um, anyway, point being, since Freaky Friday. Yeah. So I'd never, <laughs> I've never seen her like this before. Uh, and she is epic. Uh, the John Wick version of Jamie Lee Curtis is the best version of Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, she just like inserts herself into this story uh, in really fun ways. So I loved that. Um, I love Judy Greer and the family dynamic. I thought that was pretty good. Um, it's a little like, okay, we get it. Sad or not. It was, it's a little heavy handed, I think. Um, but by the end, there's some fun payoff, especially mm-hmm. with the final confrontation with Michael. Uh, some things I didn't like, though, I guess it is derivative. Yeah, it's um, a bit familiar. But I had to reach out to some other people to kind of figure this part out because I have no idea. But, but really, <laughs> I did not see anything that I did not like in this movie. Okay. I, I really didn't. Um, There is a flashback or two concerning Michael that I'm like, depending on how you characterize this, in the age of everyone involved. You don't know if you should have done that. You're talking uh, about like when his younger days. Yes. Yeah. That's when straight from the first movie when he's stabbing his sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, that is ripped. They may have reshot it cause it looks pretty good. Right. Um, but that scene is lifted straight from the first movie. And if she was 16, I think they should have not gone with some nudity things yeah. there, <laughs> uh, which is a little bit troublesome. Um, but overall, I really enjoyed it, and I'm going to give it four out of five ticket stubs. Okay. Well, let's move on to spoilers here. Um, just to quickly address the nudity part of it um, and that, that scene. That is, what I think, one of my biggest hiccups with the first Halloween movie mm-hmm. is John Carpenter just like, there's that scene, but there's also just like a scene of Jamie Lee Curtis's friend in the movie, and she's just like topless. And like it seems like all of like the teenage girls are just always topless for no reason other than it's like oh this is an r-rated horror movie in the 80s and we can we can do that and it, it, it felt it felt a little weird watching it um you know now i don't know if it plays better back then or whatever it may be but that for whatever reason that always struck me the wrong way when watching the first halloween so then to bring it back here i was just like yeah i still don't like it well yeah i mean it wasn't just the like i mean <laughs> You can do nudity whatever you want, I guess. But it was just like, like they made a big thing, like this was her his young sixteen year old system. Like if you're gonna do that, let's not if you're yeah. gonna age her that young. Let's not um, have her topless, mm-hmm. you know, brushing her. That's it was just like it was like okay, that's too creepy, I guess. Especially if you're gonna call her that young, right? I mean, obviously the actress who played her wasn't, but I think that's besides the point. Yeah, here, um, but. I loved how they brought us back into this world. I'd never been away from it, uh-huh. but I love the idea of a true crime a podcast. podcast. Yes. And they take some great shots at them. And I, I, I kind of was like laughing my way through it because it was almost satirical. Yeah. Where they spend the first 10 minutes or so following these two podcasters. Or, yeah, first 10 minutes or so. Yeah. Following these two podcasters and trying to discover Michael and figure out who he is and understand him as a person. And everyone they meet, they're like, oh yeah, no, he's a completely soulless demon. Mm-hmm. Don't don't talk to him. You're not going to get anything from him. They're like, no, no, we need to understand <laughs> him. And they chase down Laurie Strode and they do all of this. And uh, I was really just laughing my way through that entire part because it's like, yeah, I mean, it's great to go solve or, you know, understand 
or potentially look into past murders and cases and things like that where injustice may have been. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, when you're dealing with like murderers and like vicious killers, you're just kind of like, okay, let's not dredge all this up for victims and yeah. things like that. Because <laughs> um, it really paints Jamie Lee Curtis in this like different light before the story turns on its head and mm-hmm. she's like becomes the hero because at the start she's like, Oh, it's just a crazy person who yeah. took your money and ran. Um, but then by the mid portion of the movie, we get to it and we're like, oh, okay, yeah, no, totally justified in every single way. Yeah. No, I do love the uh, inclusion of podcasters. It's just like, it's such a relevant thing currently. I mean, we mm-hmm. are currently doing a podcast right. Not that we're going to go find a serial killer and <laughs> try to, you know, figure out his inner workings, but it's like making a murderer or any of the true kind of podcasts um, that are out there. Um, so I thought that was a very, uh, a fun way to get us introduced. And they're both, um, cause that bathroom stall stuff is, uh, pretty messed up, but oh, that's where the th- all these things. Yeah. Too. Um, I just, I love the idea that like he goes, like he, they just so happened to be there, but his real purpose for being there was so he could go find his car, his, uh, car his, mechanic suit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it took me a while to put two and two together. I'm like, why did he get that guy naked for a second or not naked, <laughs> but like stripped him and was like yeah. sitting there in his whitey tighties. Yeah. He just had to get rid of his, uh, you know, his hospital gown stuff. Right. So, um, I mean, what did you think? I know one point that has been uh, a big point of discussion for a lot of people has been the twist, if you would call it that, with uh, Dr. Sartain. Okay, yeah. So this is a big spoiler, but he is most definitely the guy who helped Michael escape into the night, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely how it plays to me. But I have a lot of, I think, I had a lot of issues in the moment that it happened and then thinking Mm -hmm. back on it, like, if he helped Michael escape, he's doing all of this just to see – you know, try to get his thoughts out there. Like he wants to hear him speak. He wants to figure out what makes Michael tick, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But Michael ultimately doesn't kill him at, at, at the start. Right. If, if, as I think we're led to believe that Dr. Satane, um, helped Michael escape the bus, overtake the bus, whatever it may be, and then let him be free. So then for him to like, reach back out to Michael. Like it seemed like they're basically leading to a point that, like, Oh, they're, they're teaming up. Like they're, they're working together. And mm-hmm. I kind of already, I kind of got that feeling a little bit when he was like, just like awkwardly standing outside the bus. Like I can't let him leave. I'm like, mm, right. I think there's more going on here <laughs> than they're leading on mm-hmm. uh, like full psychopath and then stab, um, officer Hawkins to death. I was just like, act is Dr. Sartain wearing the Michael Myers mask <laughs> mm-hmm. acting, like, you know, Michael comes, like, he regains consciousness and, you know, he goes and he that, um, I think was, they're trying to kind of play into what makes Michael tick. Mm-hmm. What is his connection to Lori? What is his purpose? What is his, you know, drive to do this? Or is he just crazy? And I don't think they really answer that at any point in the movie. No, they don't. The closest thing we we get to that is, Oh, he's just a predator and he's seeking prey. Mm-hmm. And now that he knows Lori got away, that's what's like driven him behind bars for the last 40 years. You got that from the movie? Yeah, because he, in the when he picks up um the granddaughter and he's like he's speaking, he's monologuing while she's before she says, "I know he said something to me." Uh-huh. Um bef- right before that he says uh, it's like it's like he's the ultimate predator yeah. or something like that, and she's his ultimate pr- and she's his ultimate prey. Heinous act that happened forty mm-hmm. years ago. 
that's what's been keeping him alive and focused and determined. Explained very well that like that Lori was still his ultimate target and that he's just a murderer mm-hmm. who's like fully evil who just kills whatever is in his path but then like he doesn't kill at certain points and then it's like well it's not totally random because now i'm gonna go find laurie strode and make sure i kill her so it it was just a weird thing where it's like are they really that connected or is he just a crazy person and if they are connected i guess how i guess what is what is his rationale for seeking her out again yeah and I and now that you say that, I'm almost kind of wondering if the obsession isn't Michael. Michael's obsession with Lori isn't his. It's everyone else around them. The podcasters, oh, you and Michael are connected. Yeah. They tell her that. And she's like, no, he tried to murder me. I don't have any con- special connection to him other than I tried to escape his, you know, his stabby death knife. Yeah. And the doctor sees that same thing. He's like, wonder what's keeping him. He's like projecting. Mm-hmm. Perhaps that's the case because yeah, before he get, Michael gets run over by officer Hawkins, he's just strolling down the street. Doesn't seem like he's looking for Lori Strode at all until Lori, you know, shows up at the, the first crime scene of the night. Yeah. So I, but they don't see each other at any point before the confrontation at the end. No. Well, He's looking in the mirror. Remember that scene where she thinks she sees him in the window, but it's actually a mirror? I think we're supposed to take that as a point where we've seen him, and then Lori takes takes a shot at him in the shoulder. Uh Uh-huh. So I feel like he kind of knows at a certain point. True. I guess guess that is true. At least if I was Michael, I feel like I would know at a certain point (laughs) if you hear Lori Strode yelling Michael. Right. Um, So, hmm. Yeah, but definitely the doctor had an obsession on the same level as Laurie and those podcasters mm-hmm. um, to the point where he's, yeah, drove him to him. I didn't think it was that crazy because someone had to get him out of there. Yes. Yeah. I mean, how do you get Mike, how do you get one of the most notorious murderers to escape without some help? Mm-hmm. So it's a plot, it's a forgivable plot device. But yeah, if they had definitely gone with the, oh yeah, he's going to become the new Michael. Yeah. Uh, you're doomed. You're doomed. <laughs> that yeah, would have so bad. I would have just lost it. I would have, I probably would have walked out of the theater and just apologized yeah, to uh, the fans. That would have been, that would have been <laughs> possibly the, like one of the dumbest twists I think you could do. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so yeah, I'm very happy they did not do that. Um, but there are still, I mean, this is a horror movie. There's plenty of dumb decisions that happen throughout. Uh, like Allison, after she escapes the clutches of Michael, instead of like running down the street full of light right towards the house where she's going to her, she just like jumps into the woods and like stumbles around for like 15 minutes. You're like, what are you doing? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Like, I, just just run to the safe house. <laughs> you know where it is. You know where you're going. <laughs> the adrenaline kicked in. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, but she... She escapes into the woods because the police officers are approaching. Because he just killed the police officers. Oh, he kills the police officers before she goes and runs. I think. Er, she takes a she takes a run before the police officers come down. So maybe she's trying to get out of the firefight. But I don't know why she wouldn't run to the police. Yeah, officers like, hey, police, don't go down there. This is a crazy serial killer. Exactly. Also, how did he get? How did Michael get from behind the van to the cops going on both sides to then he was on the back side of them? <laughs> Very carefully. <laughs> it doesn't that's, make that's any just sense, one of those but it's things. just yeah, it is. Um, um, and there's also you know, the moment where the dad goes outside. It's like, you idiot! Like yeah, you're dead. I you're didn't a goner. Like him. Yeah. yeah, I was just kind of like, all right, good for him. <laughs> um, Drudy Greer deserved better anyway. 
Uh, and speaking of Judy Greer, though, I loved her in this. She mm-hmm. doesn't get to do a lot of like. She gets to be. She's she plays like one role, over or has played one role over the last four years or so. Yeah, and it's concerned or aggravated parent. Yep. And here she gets to do that. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. And then she gets into the action um, near the end. And she's like upset and she's telling her mom, like, you shouldn't have done this to me. You've emotionally scarred me. And then this climactic moment where she's basically the one with all the power with a gun ready to face down Michael. She loses it. Mm-hmm. And then Michael's like, this is my chance, moves in. And then all of a sudden she just snaps to him and is like, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, do, I did like that moment. That is the, that is the most satisfying moment of the year for me because really? <laughs> because then the camera Mike because Michael gets shot in the face and then the camera moves all the way up Jamie Lee Curtis steps out of the shadow and says happy Halloween Michael <laughs> yeah. and then just that, starts that was a little dramatic st- but it was, it, was, it was okay and she starts her own stabbing spree and I I was like yes this is what <laughs> this was worth all of it um and uh yeah I like because I haven't seen any other Halloween movies, maybe none of it was like, oh, I rolly, I've yeah. seen this before type of a thing. Um, so I was just like, this is perfect. You're cool with I, it? I, yeah, I loved it. Did you at all feel like uh, Lori was sidelined or maybe not in the movie enough? I've seen that complaint a lot. To me. That there's too much of focus on Allison and her friends and, mm-hmm. you know, the other babysitters and, you know, the school dance and all that stuff, which really, at the end of the day, I can kind of. I'm of two minds it because I did like Andy Matichek. I liked Virginia Gardner. I liked um, the the weed smoking boyfriend. Yes, that was also in Blockers. Um, he was hilarious here, but like they don't really have any role in the movie, and like a lot of like even some of the setup for Allison is kind of just totally disregarded. Like there's her jerk of a boyfriend and like they have their like breakup fight at the dance and then he's yeah. never seen him again. You're like, did he die? You mm-hmm. don't even know if the little kid dies. Who's hilarious. He runs out of the house and we don't see him again. And I was like, oh, I hope that guy made it out okay because he was hilarious. Yeah, I think he gets free. Uh, Miles Robbins yes. is Dave. The uh, He gets, what 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 does his death look like? Oh yeah, he, he's, he's, he's pinned to the wall. Yeah, he's pinned to the wall. I was like, that's a cool death. Wish I could. I wish I would have saw it though, because like oh, I kind of oh. like he was the, like you know Virginia Gardner's up top, you know dying, and they're together, and then the kid's like, "Don't go in there, like you're gonna die," and he's like, "Whatever," and he grabs an knife. I'm like, "Yeah, go do this. Like, go mm-hmm. find him. Like, you're pr- it's not gonna go well for you. I know this, but like, right. still go try. Give us something then, to see." And then they just cut away, and I was like, "Oh." I wanted yeah. to see him like have like a mini heroic moment. I was I felt nauseous during some of the kills that they did show because he got I mean the knife is run through his neck, um, and it is really gross. <laughs> and they showed us one earlier where a knife goes through someone's throat, and I'm like, oh no, okay, I can't really take too much no. of that. Um, so I was glad that the end of the movie um, is just an inferno rather than some kind of like grisly murder for him right. too. Which the house that Laurie Strode built is pretty sweet, and I love that. Like the idea of it was, we we see this early in the movie where it's like, oh, she's ready to like keep him out, but then by the end of the film, you realize all of these cages and trap doors and steel frames were meant to like keep Michael locked in yeah. the entire time, um, as they uh, basically burn the house down. She's mm-hmm. basically set it to implode not yeah. implode to explode um, yeah in in turn in, it internally combusts yes 
there we go. Uh, so, which is like really sweet. She's got like gas rigged mm-hmm. up and um, flames ready to, uh, or at least like like cigarette lighter type things yeah, yeah. ready to go off. Yeah, it, it was a very cool design. Um, she was obviously very prepared, and I think it, it just kind of show that like while she may have been uh, maybe a bit obsessive over like you know fight number two with Michael, like it obviously paid off because she did come out victorious. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked like they killed him. But apparently there's like not a post credit scene, but there's a post credit sound where you hear his breathing again. So he's not dead. I guess so. I saw the same article. I didn't stay till the very no. last credits. It's like, I'm not going to stay for a sound. I'll take people's word for mm-hmm. it. <laughs> right. Exactly. It just seems like a weird thing to make up. Uh, I would just fake a post credits right. <laughs> if you're going to lie and get clicks. Yeah, it's like, oh my gosh, he stumbled out and, uh, you know, the dad is now also a serial killer. Like, <laughs> yes. Whoa. You resurrected him <laughs> yeah, through a satanic exactly. ritual. No way. Um, which is, you know, I guess I wouldn't put it past it because they've done that before. Have they? I don't know. Halloween Resurrection? I don't know who's resurrected. Me neither. I don't, maybe that's just like the, we brought the movie back after 20 maybe, years. Maybe that's the reboot title. Uh, but uh, that's all I've got. Okay. I mean, I'm really out of road here. So the movie is going to make just under $80 million opening weekend on a $10 million budget. Another huge win for Blumhouse. Insane. Um, obviously, there's going to be a third one. They've already talked about like we have ideas for where they'll go. Um, do you think that... I guess it's a little hard maybe for you to answer because you haven't seen the first movie, but I'll say that I don't feel like this movie was necessary, which is always a weird thing to say. Cause you're like, well, no movie is necessary, but like, I didn't feel like by the end of the movie, there was enough um, character progression, enough ex- exploration of who Michael Myers and uh, Laurie Strode are now as, as compared to who they are were before, because I would have liked to know more about their motivations or, um, what their connection actually is. And maybe that's something they can deal with in the third movie, especially if Michael's still around. Um, I'm just worried that a third movie, um, and this is going off as again, my knowledge of not seeing any other Hollywood movie besides the first one. Okay. That a third attack by Michael Myers against Laurie Strode and her family will, will not work as well. Like, I think there's something special about that first movie because there's, it's, coincidental like this isn't something where like oh mike myers broke out of prison the first time and mm-hmm. he's like i'm gonna go kill Lori because he doesn't know who she is she's just a random right. babysitter who you know gets in his way now 40 years later it's this like revenge story but then if they make another sequel are you just doubling down on the revenge nature now that oh well she she thought she killed me but i'm gonna come back again it feels to me, to me like that would take this franchise down like the jaws route where it's like the shark followed yeah the shark followed him to a different island you're like well this is stupid (laughs) like this is how this should work Mm -hmm. um and so i'm worried that this is where they're ultimately going to go that they're going to want a another michael versus laurie showdown do you have any concerns about that Uh, yeah a third one would be kind of crazy unless i mean you'd have to do it differently there has to be some kind of reason for it someone yeah. picks up the michael mantle or uh, i don't know because i mean at a certain point you're just kind of like all right wasn't this supposed to be the definitive conclusion yeah but like you said it's on track to do 200 million dollars or so yep at least yeah i think it's going to close in just under 100 worldwide opening weekend so 
yeah, this movie's going to have great legs with Halloween still two weeks away. I mean, this yeah, this movie's going to do just fine at the box office. Mm-hmm. So, so and, and Jason Blumhouse is a lover of sequels. So yes, he is. He well, at least horror sequels that are very profitable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, uh, them in New Line. So, no, yeah, you know, I don't think we could say that Blumhouse is like a obsessive sequel creator. I mean, they are if like it's successful. So like Happy Death Day one-off movie but then it makes like 200 million dollars mm-hmm. and they're like this movie costs us like three million dollars to make of course we're gonna make another one or yeah. like the paranormal activity movies or uh whatever else that i don't i mean they've made so many different franchises but uh they know what they're doing obviously it's yeah. gonna pay off big for them if i can pitch them an interesting angle that i think would you have one i have uh, i have one Let's hear this, it. this could be completely derivative of another halloween sequel i have no idea Who's to say um i mean others who have seen the movies i guess yes. could tell me i'm wrong or i guess that i am ripping off a different movie but um i think they they purposely like focus in on the fact that, like after everything happened allison is still like holding the knife she used to stab michael that's right which some people have interpreted as basically like a passing of the mantle of like, you know, after, um, you know, Lori, you know, fought off Michael in the first movie, she didn't keep her knife, but now Allison does whatever. And it's basically like, Oh, well now this is her story. I, and, but like, I think a theme of this movie is like the effects that something of like this traumatic of a level will have on a person, whether you're Michael Myers and you're crazy Mm -hmm. or you're Lori and you go from just being a regular babysitter to now being driven um, to an obsessive level to prepare for a eventual rematch. I think it'd be interesting if instead of like being like, Oh, well now it's Allison's story and she's going to like have to fend off the return of Michael. What if like it affects her in the opposite way of her grandmother. And instead of like, she just becomes like wired to like train to be better prepared. She like has a little bit of bloodlust, and now she maybe like goes off and becomes like a killer. And Michael returns, quote unquote, and then we get to the end, and then all of a sudden it's Allison. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'd go that far, but like, I just like, I, I think that'd be an interesting dynamic of having granddaughter versus grandmother instead of like grandmother, daughter, granddaughter yeah. teaming up against random serial killer reframe so they like perform like a serial killer x-force and they start hunting down serial killers no that's not what i want to happen okay no you want i want them to like basically have like a confrontation inner family fight yeah you became a serial killer after you know how i felt about them <laughs> yeah exactly i can't live up to you grandma She's like, I, I'll, I'll never be as prepared so i'm gonna go the opposite way <laughs> yeah. and i'm just gonna kill everybody <laughs> Oh my. I mean, it needs work, obviously, but it's, it's an I, like, of an idea. I like I like the bones of my pitch. Yeah, for sure. So uh, we'll have to wait and see, obviously, what uh, Blumhouse decides. I'm guessing David Gordon Green will turn to direct, but then again, Jason Blum recently came under fire for saying there's not enough female directors out there, and then was uh, very quickly pointed out that he was wrong. So I wouldn't be surprised if they do, especially if they go like the grandmother versus granddaughter route. Mm-hmm maybe give it to a female director to uh, tell that you know family dynamic <laughs> maybe a little bit more uh maybe a little better i don't know just yeah just once i would like to see someone like handle that question well <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean we'll talk about it oh, uh, not that exactly but i mean female directors whatever in the news section um oh, man. this is the end of our halloween review oh wait one thing though okay i can't believe they didn't include the this is halloween song this is Halloween. This is Halloween. Not in not, there. It's not. I don't think that's from this franchise. 
What? Really? I don't think so. And Wiles would... Okay. Isn't that from like... Uh, uh, what's the the animated Tim Burton movie? The Corpse's Bride. Maybe. Sure. I don't know. I'm pretty sure... I mean, maybe I just maybe can't I'm imagine wrong. a movie called Halloween not having a theme song called This Is Halloween. Oh, well. I'm Googling it right now. This is Halloween song by Marilyn Manson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, The Nightmare Before Christmas. That doesn't make any sense. It makes that's, that's what the movie's about. It's yeah, but about, the, the title isn't Halloween. Well, yeah, but it's about like before Christmas. It's it. it <sighs> Nobody knows how to do movies. <laughs> okay, that's a that's a large statement to make. But let, that's it. Josh recommends Halloween. I'll say uh, I recommend it as well, especially if you're a fan of the franchise. Um, but that's it. We'll be right back in a bit with the news. And we're back with the news, and as always, we're going to start with our three main topics this week, kicking off with uh, a pair of superhero movies that aren't going as well as originally planned, uh, starting with one from DC, where Variety reported this week that production on The Flash has been delayed from a spring 2019 start to fall 2019. This is a result of Ezra Miller's filming schedule on Fantastic Beast 3, which he's now obviously confirmed to be in. Um, with filming not starting till late next year, though, this means that The Flash is now not expected to hit theaters until 2021, which will be three years late from its original 2018 release date. So, this is obviously great news, but, I mean, it's, it's fine. I mean, I'm, I am excited for the Flash movie on the basis of, I think, Ezra Miller's talented. Sure. But it's really John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, the directors of Game Night, tackling this property. That I'm like, yes, that seems like a great idea. This seems like a really fun group. Um, so I'm a little bummed that I'm going to have to wait even longer if this isn't you know, filming till next fall then the 2021 release date will be early 2021 at least. But it's still like that's still like at least two years away. And... I mean, I'm sad, but at the end of the day, I hope this is for the right reasons. And they're not like, well, the script is okay, Mm -hmm. so let's rush into production. And then we get a lackadaisical Flash movie when instead they're like, all right, let's give you guys another six months to really fine-tune the script, get casting down perfectly, and then you guys can shoot and kick off 2021 for us. Yeah, or it's just complete indecisiveness. Maybe. Or it's just that they really just don't care about a Flash movie that much. Maybe. I mean, they're, they're spending money on it for pre-production, so I got to imagine so. But if you you know you're doing three more Fantastic Beast movies, five more. There, there's five in total. Yeah, which is which is wild. Uh, and you know those are guaranteed money makers, especially after your last few DC properties have not been doing well. Or at least your anything but Wonder Woman properties have not been doing well. Critically, yes. I mean, financially, they've all been acceptable, but I still think more than less True. disappointing I keep forgetting that they still like it's like weird suicide squad makes 700, 700 and like yep. close to 50 million dollars pbs did 800 million yeah um justice league did 650 something around there yep which isn't like terrible but when you account for all the reshoots mm-hmm. um you know all the problems that movie had it's like and the fact that you have all the biggest dc characters 
on a screen together. Yeah. It's it's a it's much less than I think the billion dollars that WB thought that this movie was at least guaranteed to make. Precisely. And at that point it's just kind of like and then we've seen Walter Hamada's focusing on a lot different things. Mm-hmm. A lot more different things. So yeah, I guess that's fine. And like, I just don't have any strong feelings about this. At this point where it's just kind of like reluctance, I'm like, yeah, I loved Ezra Miller's Flash. He makes that movie enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, because Wonder Woman's turned in, like turned back into a completely different character than we got to see. Ben Affleck is who he was and all that jazz. But like, I still kind of giggle when I think about his pet cemetery line and everything like yeah. that <laughs> with uh, Henry Cavill or Superman. So that's, that's, you know, good and stuff like that. But yeah, it's just kind of like, all right. I mean, I'm going to get kind of this same movie with Shazam, um, minus some time travel and her to follow plot points. I mean, I don't think there's going to be any time travel in Flash. Okay. But then, it, I don't know, it's confusing because exactly of like, it's not Shazam. it's not Flashpoint, but then it's like, but a big inspiration is Back to the Future. It's like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is this just because like, there's a, like, I don't know. There's some time travel, but there's not a lot of time travel. Even though, I mean, Back to the Future is literally like... There is, I guess, not a lot of time travel in the sense there's a time travel sequence at the beginning and there's a time travel sequence mm-hmm. at the end. But the whole movie... <laughs> he goes back in time to the 1940 Olympics, or 38 Olympics, where Adolf Hitler is oh in Germany and Ezra Miller has to coach a young Jesse Owens to oh run gosh. for the race of his life. I'll be pretty surprised that's where they go. Okay, then I guess not. Who knows? Who's to say? But yeah, I just I just don't have any strong feelings about this. I'm like, okay. I love everything else they've got in the pipeline from Batgirl to Gotham city sirens mm-hmm. to, well, I don't know if, I mean, birds of prey. Birds of prey. Thank yeah. you. Um, and the Batman is supposedly still happening. Precisely. Suicide squad two's new director or new writer, yes. maybe director. Uh, so there's a lot of other things going on that I like. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think because of that, you look at it and you're like, does flash need to, you know, be a 2020 release date? No. Just have it out whenever you can have. It. I mean, I'd like to see it sooner than later, mm-hmm. but you know, if you know next year has Birds of Prey filming at the beginning of the year, and then the Batman's supposed to film at some point too, possibly, um, and then you throw in like uh, I don't know another you know an Elseworlds property and something else, maybe even get four DC movies you know in production next year. Then you've got plenty of product for 2020, and then yeah. you can just kind of let Flash sit back. This project has gone through a lot of changeover already. So to make sure that you have the perfect flash movie at this point, I think is paramount to then be like, well, we need to get it out as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. Just give us a good one. And then the wait will be all worth it. Yeah. And who knows what it'll need to look like come whenever they release it True. because of the changing landscape. So, uh, we'll also move on to, uh, the MCU, which, uh, guardians of the galaxy volume three got, uh, plenty of rumors this past week. Um, about its status, about who could possibly replace James Gunn, about when it could film, when it could hit theaters. Um, we're going to kind of break it all down here, starting with um, a rumor that kind of circulating Twitter that you know Disney was looking at, um, you know, obviously new directors for the movie, but that many of them were female. And then Super Bro Movies came out and offered up a possible shortlist of three possible contenders who are possibly in the mix uh, for Guardians 3, those being Michelle McLaren, S.J. Clarkson, and D. Rees. Um, and then there was also a report from Production Weekly that production isn't going to begin until 2021 um, in February, which is 
very far away, as in it's over two years away from starting production, which then means it wouldn't hit theaters probably till 2022, which um, is very far away, obviously. So um, there's a lot of rumors going around. Does you, you know? Does this make sense to you that they'd be possibly looking this closely at a director where there's a rumored shortlist out there, but then production wouldn't begin for another two years? Or you know, what what do you, what do you make of all this? Um, I don't know what to make of all of this. I mean, obviously we knew it wasn't going to be released quickly or anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Um, The last thing we spoke about this was they weren't in a hurry to find a new director. Yeah. So that would jive with the 2021 production start date. Mm -hmm. And just in terms of all the movies they're working on and things like that, that would fit in pretty well, I believe. Yeah. So that I buy. Um, Their short list seems like a roundup of players that if they've Marvel's kind of worked with in the past um SJ Clarkson obviously from Jessica Jones mm-hmm. so the connections there are obvious Michelle McLaren the relationship with Chris Pratt just being the greatest director of all not, not the greatest director the, one of the hardest working and most used high um premium cable t- drama okay. directors out there from Breaking Bad mm-hmm. to Game of Thrones to and you can name five other ones that I'm probably forgetting right now which totally makes sense. And then D. Reese is obviously on a hot streak with Mudbound being done and then working on something with A players like Ben Affleck, Anne Hathaway, and Toby Jones. Mm-hmm. So that the, all makes sense to me. Okay. But then again, in the 2121, the 2021 release date is like so far away. Who's to say when they'll hire a director right um i mean it was interesting because the 2021 rumor came out before the director stuff so it's like well i mean i could also buy the production being i mean yes we knew it wasn't going to hit its previously set february 2019 start date because james gunn was fired there like you said there's there's no rush to find his replacement at this point um even if they're still going to use the script so really all they need at this point is a director and then to figure out cast schedules which for all we know, may not be till 2021. That would be pretty surprising because, I mean, yes, Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, assuming she's in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if Dave Batista still you know sticks around, you know, these people while busy, we're talking about mapping out stuff that's two years away. Whereas most of these people don't have projects like lined up for 2020 yet. So theoretically, you could delay the movie a year. Um, start production in early 2020 and then have the movie out in 2021. But um, so taking two years seems a bit extreme to me, but I can also buy it if they're um, doing this, if they had to reconfigure a lot of phase four as um, a result of firing James Gunn, maybe their plans shifted that, okay, well, you know, instead of having Nova be introduced in guardians three and then do a solo movie after we can do the solo movie before and do guardians after, and it doesn't really change that much about it. And so because they can maybe figure out a way to, you know, rework some of their concepts, then maybe Guardians doesn't have to come out right out the gate. And maybe they're even trying to fit, let more time pass between Guardians 3 and, you know, the gun announcement. So that way, mm-hmm. maybe Dave Batista cools down a little bit. Yeah. Maybe fans cool down a little bit. Maybe, I mean, who knows? Maybe they're even trying to wait it out enough where James Gunn can still go write Suicide Squad 2 for WB, turn in his stuff, you know, get some good praise off of that, and then maybe Disney can be like, James why don't we talk again and maybe even try to bring him back with an extended wait after, you know, maybe having a year and a half between his firing and then his rehiring. I mean, that seems unlikely to me because that if you're going to rehire him, why not rehire him right now? But then again, cooler heads prevail. 
things change, um, political climates, everything. So it could be very different for Disney a year from now as it is currently to have James Gunn on the on their roster. What do you think is more likely? He gets one of these three, Michelle McLaren, D. Reese, or S.J. Carson gets hired for this job? Or do you think James Gunn comes back? Uh, I'll take option C. You have <laughs> that, no idea? That it's, I, I mean, I just don't. It's tough to say because the only the only one that's kind of surprised me of this director shortlist is D. Rees mm-hmm. because she hasn't really been linked to any superhero stuff before. Like you mentioned, Michelle McLaren, that was like an obvious one before the director shortlist even dropped. When the rumor was just, oh, you know, you know, Marvel's potentially looking at female directors. Which, first of all, I gotta say, it's like to me currently it feels dumb for people to be like, hey exclusive hot scoop you know marvel's meeting with female directors marvel's gonna be meeting with female directors for literally any project they have coming up yeah just because they happen to be i mean like it, it's a little it sounds like a um annoying headline yeah to be honest yeah it's uh, like hey but that, that's what, like what everyone like and i guess to be fair they weren't saying like exclusive marvel's looking at females it was like hey you know there's some good names out there and they're female wink wink and it's just like okay great like they're looking at directors just Yes, that was nothing. Nothing changed <laughs> right. other than, hey, they're considering a female. No duh, Marvel. Marvel just hired Chloe Zhao. They just mm-hmm. their last. I mean, two out of their last three director hires, which aren't technically official, were Kate Shortland and Chloe Zhao. Mm-hmm. The other one was Ryan Coogler. Like they're obviously not just being like, hey, here's you know, we're, we're just going after white men again because we got a couple of females and we got a couple of people of color. Yeah, so we're covered. Like they're gonna keep talking to these diverse voices for all their projects so it's not to me it's not a story that they're considering a female because right they're going to be considering a female for i guarantee any movie that comes out in the future if ryan googler was too busy mm-hmm. they'd probably go they'd i'm sure they would talk to plenty of female femaleers about a black panther too yeah or you know even if they like going out of your i mean obviously because of some biases in management things like that you they need to be a determination to go out or to seek out women to direct mm-hmm. um but sometimes seeing a list of directors and you just happen to see three names of people who are women on there yeah. it's just kind of like okay like yeah these are three really great directors mm-hmm. and just because they happen to be on the list like i don't know right because it, it's also it seems like, like a, 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 a clickbait headline it's not like these are the only three people like if this right. was like the final like if this was like you know, coming from Variety or THR or Deadline or whatever, and there's like, these are the final three mm-hmm. for Guardians 3. It's Michelle McLaren, S.J. Clarkson, or D. Rees. And I'd be like, all right, cool. Yeah. Because all three of them are talented. Doesn't matter that they're female. It matters that they're talented filmmakers who can actually deliver a satisfying product. Um, and all that said, though, I mean... <sighs> It's tough because I think the interest, the most interesting that I thought of, which was then rumored to be possibly somebody that they've talked to about it, was Travis Knight. Oh. The director of Bumblebee. He met with them for Eternals. And I was just like, I feel like that's like that is the type of target I feel like Marvel would go with. Not to say that he is more prestigious or better qualified than any of these female directors out there but i feel like he's got he would be a really good fit with the guardians family dynamic um with kubo with the bubble bee trailers it looks like he's shown a master class of getting emotion getting character work and then bumblebee also looks like it's going to have that big action and marvel's great at just letting new directors come in do the character stuff do the story and then marvel has a 
A-list team of you know co of you know secondary directors, um, stunt coordinators, all that stuff who can come in. And mm-hmm. even if you're somebody like Chloe Zhao and your movie is the writer and you're using real life people to portray themselves, not doing any stunt work, you can still come into the Eternals and use Marvel's resources to still deliver great action stuff. So um, I think it's again. It's yeah. Sum it up for me again, because I was about to say I think we I think we got lost in the weeds a little bit there, and yeah. I lost track of your point. Um, you don't buy these names as being like I just I don't like if you had to say right now, like if I had to say right now, like who's directing yes. Guardians three? If it's like between one of these three female filmmakers or James Gunn or somebody else, I would go with somebody else. Yeah. I'll take the pool. You don't buy of it. somebody else is probably gonna get hired, not because I don't want to see any of these other filmmakers get hired, because I think they each do a good job. But it's not like these are three names we've seen thrown around for like 500 different projects. Right. So it's just kind of like, I mean, we, when um, what like was we, what was the other project S.J. Clarkson was recently up for? And they're um, just like she just at this point feels like, oh, she's the new, you know, filmmaker that every studio is meeting with about every Michelle project. <laughs> and it's just like good for her that she's getting all these meetings. But like she already has Star Trek for um, she's got whatever other project I'm thinking of and. You know, she was also in the mix for, oh, it was Bond. She was in the mix yes. for Bond. And it's just like, great, good for her. But like, she can't do all of those at once. <laughs> so if she's already, if like Star Trek 4 gets moving, she can't do this. If like, you know, something else happens, then she obviously can't do this. So it's just like a matter of timing and all this stuff. And I would just take, you know, the pool instead of one of these three names. Although would be, would it not be wild if Michelle McLaren's put off Cowboy Ninja Viking for this exact reason no i mean i think that that was a universal decision i guess true but i also think that makes that make a lot of sense like why like if you're chris pratt and you go from working with james gunn i mean yes they haven't actually worked together and they haven't filmed anything yet but like they've had meetings together for cowboy ninja viking Mm -hmm. they've obviously been collaborative and if he's enjoyed working with her in that regard so far what yeah i mean i i can totally believe that he would say hey marvel if you're looking for somebody and you haven't considered michelle mclaren for whatever reason Give her a call because I feel like she could really nail this property. It was scheduled to be to start production later this year, right? Early next early, year. Early next year. So I, think. I mean, when you're almost ready to start shooting. Or no, it was it was this year. It was, yeah. it was supposed to be released next year. Exactly. So they were so they were that far along into it. Obviously, that relationship is you know progressed to a point where they were ready, comfortable and ready to shoot because Pratt was producing. So mm-hmm. yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So, so yes, I guess some my point. I don't think any of these names will Produ- be the one gotcha production day sounds right production day i can believe but i also could believe that you know if any of these three names are the ones that get you know the job that things can move quicker and it starts filming you know late next year early 2020 mm-hmm. and I, I could totally buy that it's yeah. just at this point even though they have a script there's no director and that's a pretty big hole for sure so yeah, I think you have to wait at this point. Definitely, definitely feels like clickbait at best. Or the oh, they have three women. This is so rare in Hollywood. They're definitely doing this intentionally, which is probably true. They're doing it intentionally, but at the same time, it's like, oh uh, yeah, some directors are women. People get over it, right? But it's like yeah, like when Marvel was looking for Black Widow, like they didn't like they didn't just meet with women filmmakers. Like that was their goal. They wanted to hire a, f- a female director, mm-hmm. but they did meet with a couple dudes, and right. that's fine. You know, I'm not, I'm not, so yes. it's just like to me, it was a no story that Marvel's going to meet with a female filmmaker about 
an upcoming film. Yeah, a high profile upcoming film yeah. that they need to, who they ceremoniously fired their director for. Yeah, it's just like oh. that seems like a, a no brainer. Yes. But uh, also a no brainer, John Krasinski, he's back for Quiet Place 2. Not as a director yet, um, but he confirmed at a Q&A at the Silver Screen Theater in Los Angeles um, that he is indeed currently writing the script for A Quiet Place 2. Um, this came to us courtesy of The Hollywood Reporter. I feel like this was expected, so I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm glad that he's back. Um, if he directs, cool. But I, 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 wanted, I still want to know what his actual idea is for the sequel because he's been pretty vague about it at this point yeah i mean he hasn't spoken at all about it has he i don't think he said a solid word about um a sequel I, in, in the t in, or in the q a he mentioned that like you know he had an inkling of an idea and that you know paramount um was meeting with other pitches for the sequel and that they ultimately yeah. like but then like the producer okay. was like John, you know, like, are you, do you have any thoughts? He said, well, I have this one thought. And like, he kept developing it, developing his mind. And then he's like, all right, yeah, I'll do it. Hmm. And like, that's how it got to okay. be where he wasn't going to do the movie to now he's writing the movie to then who knows what his role will be yeah, in the future. Cause they definitely knew that Woods and Beck said they had loads of material that they had not used um, in the first script or in the first film. So perhaps that's also being worked in there as well. Possibly. Um, but yeah, I, this is great that he's writing it. I think the strength of A Quiet Place is that it doesn't get too involved with the creatures and instead hones in on the massively talented cast that it has from himself to Blunt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't see him directing this. I really can't, especially if Emily Blunt doesn't return. Um, I mean, it was supposed to, it's it's hitting theaters in 2020 or 2021. I can't remember. Oh man, it'd be wild if we got out. It's 2020, yeah. Wow. So it has a May 15th, 2020 release date. So, I mean, it's not too far away. I guess it's kind of up in the air between if he would direct this or that that space movie that he was also um, in the talks for. I want to say it's The Martian, but it's something like it, The it's, Martian. It's like The Martian. Who lives on Mars or yes. something like that. Um, which I th- I mean, yeah, I guess maybe personally I'd rather see him go over there yeah, and absolutely. do something else and then maybe like, you know, paramount and um, you know the studio they can like figure out they can find another director who wants to like you know get out there and use a quiet place too as a vehicle for them to you know get future projects and stuff like that so uh let's move on to ticket or skip it here yeah uh we have four trailers to discuss the teaser trailer for destroyer the first trailer for the kid who would be king the first trailer for happy death day to you and the first trailer for the curse of la llorona Josh, which one is getting your ticket this week? I'm going to give it to The Destroyer with Nicole Kidman. Um, I like what I saw from La Lorena, mm-hmm. but it basically looked like the nun um, transposed into you know Southern California or wherever it's taking place. I did that car shot was very well done. Mm-hmm. It felt it felt can, can like you know canvas and oh I don't know but at the same time claustrophobic. It was really yeah, cool. You can, but, you can really understand why the director is uh, now going to do um, uh, Conjuring 3. Oh, okay. Yeah. There we go. Which Michael Chavez. James Wan is... Yeah, he's just producing now. Mm-hmm. But there's that New Line yes, connection. Yes, yes. Well, yeah. Yeah, because James uh, Wan is also producing La Llorona. Yeah. So, yes, that, that's is. how he found him. That's how he's getting Conjuring 3, blah, blah, blah. But I love Nicole McKinnon in Destroyer, mainly because I did not recognize her at the start. I'm like, I know this lady. Who is she? I've seen her before. And then when we dip to a flashback about midway through the trailer, 
um, as she's like in her young and naive days, I suppose. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, Nicole Kidman. Cool. I'm like, wait a minute. That's the same lady. And it just look, it just really looks gripping mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And I know every Nicole Kidman movie is gripping because she's so like deeply into her character and they're so layered in depth. But I felt that in this trailer. And I really, really, really want to see Nicole McKidman as just this vicious outlaw or this morally troubled but uneasy about what she does outlaw. Yeah, um, she is. What is she? She's like a former cop or she's currently a cop undercover? I don't know what she is. It looks like she was a she was a former criminal turned cop turned criminal again. Uh, the synopsis says a police detective reconnects with people from an undercover assignment in her distant past in order to make peace. So yeah, I think she is going. She's back undercover, I believe. Yeah, when they're robbing places, blind, yeah, and, and she kills a dude, mm-hmm, and and just you do not want to get in her way. Um, probably will be an Oscar role for her, I think. But yeah, yeah. I am, I am, I'm all here for it. Um, action, not really a good look at it. But we'll see. I don't know. I just I really felt it. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect to. Yeah, I mean, Karen Kusama is the director. So another of those female directors out there for all the studios to look at. Um, I think I'm going to give my ticket, though, to Happy Death Day to you. Um, I watched the first one last night after seeing the trailer for the second movie, which mm-hmm. if you haven't seen the first movie, it's the, the trailer for the new one spoils the first movie. So um, it was it didn't ruin the experience for me, obviously, though, watching the first movie because I still really enjoyed it because it's just a fun, inventive spin on the Groundhog uh, Day kind of, you know, oh, you're stuck in a time loop thing and now you got to get out of it somehow. So uh, I like how they're sticking to this mm-hmm. in the sequel, but they're finding a way to reinvent it where now it's like – it's the same thing, but there's a different killer. So it's like, yeah, that's just interesting to me. And I want to see kind of how they, how they play that out, how, um, other, what other wrinkles they throw into this. Cause I don't think that again, coming from Blumhouse, that they'll just redo the exact same thing. I think there's going to be some other element to here. That's going to make it fresh and different and new. And, uh, I think that's uh, exactly what this movie needs. So I'm looking forward to this. It comes out early next year and, uh, yeah, that's gonna get my ticket this week. So let's move on then to the flyby to wrap up the show, uh, starting with another bit of casting for Knives Out. This one comes from Deadline, where they revealed that Blade Runner 2049 actress Anna de Armas has joined the cast, which includes, you know, Keith Stanfield, Chris Evans, Daniel Craig, and Michael Shannon. This one obviously directed by Ryan Johnson. I just rewatched Blade Runner 2049 a couple weeks ago. Oh, she yeah. is so good as Joy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled for this. Yeah, I was actually watching it this morning. I watched like... <laughs> 40 minutes of it. When aren't you watching? Blade I am. Runner? I have, I have Blade Runner and Blade Runner 49 on repeat a lot, or at least I'm always like clicking in like, I want to watch this scene or yeah. I want to watch this thing. It's just so good. Man, they're so immaculate. We, we really got away with highway robbery on that movie. <laughs> uh, we really did. But anyway, I didn't realize this movie was a sausage fest so far. <laughs> I mean, it was all men cast. Didn't we literally talk about that? Did we? I thought we, I thought maybe it was, maybe it was off air. I think so. Okay. Or yeah, I, well, it just occurred to me, I'm like, oh, we have all, like, we need to start, like, filling up the cast. Yes, we did. Because I said, yeah, they need, I can't wait till they, like, finally round up the cast. Uh-huh. They're main characters. And now they're starting to fill it up with other exceptional people. Anna de Armas is one of those exceptional people. Yeah. So I can't wait to see who they get next. Yeah. I mean, um, as long as they keep up, it's going to be more prestigious people. Yes, absolutely. 
So then we also got a new franchise potentially for Michael B. Jordan. Um, again, from Deadline, they revealed that he is set to star for Lionsgate in an aspiring um, action drama assassin franchise called The Silver Bear. It's an adaptation of a, a series of novels, which is apparently very good. I haven't read them. By Derek Haas, yep. But big fan of Michael B. Jordan. I think that just goes for the Friends of Foot podcast in general and really should go for anybody because Michael B. Jordan is just supremely talented. And to, to me, this sounds like he and getting his John Wick franchise. Maybe it's a bit obvious because this is, again, coming from Lionsgate, the same studio who brings us John Wick. Mm-hmm. But the premise sounds like John Wick to a certain degree. Uh, Michael B. Jordan, I'm excited to see him go for another action franchise and just keep owning Hollywood. Yeah, and it's this is going to have his star power kind of you know carrying it forward. He is producing, yep. so it's going to be his step into that. I mean, I think he's technically produced a couple of movies, but yeah. um, this seems like the one he's really bringing his full force to, mm-hmm. which was kind of the way John Wick got it kind of bow like Keanu Reeves did the same thing for that so yeah uh very excited for that especially if it's even like an inkling of something like that yeah uh, it's gonna be great I feel like they're that's what they're going for like if if I didn't like if this wasn't based on novels that have their own universe and stuff it'd be like oh this has to be like mm-hmm. a John Wick spinoff in disguise yeah maybe it still can be that'd be epic if we get then get eventually like Keanu Reeves and Michael B. Jordan um in movie together but I'll take it as a separate franchise yeah. for now. Well, anyway, his character is called Columbus. Awesome. Which, yeah, you just look at Michael B. Jordan, you're like, yeah, Columbus. Yeah, I can buy that. Um, I also buy, according to Collider, Damian Bashir, the star of The Nun, joining Godzilla vs. Kong. Uh, this movie just keeps adding cast members as of late. Last week, we had Brian Tyree Henry join, Millie Bobby Brown, and Julian Dennison. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also rumors of Kyle Chandler, Janai Guerrera, um, and others sticking on board for this uh, big team-up movie. Josh, is a good move? I have no strong feelings about Damien Bashir at all. So, good for him. Yeah. He'll definitely play a good bad guy, I think. Or a disgruntled good guy. <laughs> whichever the case <laughs> yeah, is. He was very um, good at being disgruntled in the e- nun. <laughs> exactly. So, or wounded and cynical. Yeah. So, wherever they... I mean, this cast is doesn't excite me as much as Godzilla is. Okay. But, um, we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, uh, obviously, con- a confirmation on Denai Greer and Kyler Chandler would like rock it up a little bit. Um, but as long as there's a good focus on Dennison and Millie Bobby Brown's characters, yeah, that if as long as they're like together a lot, yes, I think that'd, that'd be great. The the, the, di- the dynamic, the potential hilarity for the, the dynamic there, uh, really seems like it would work. Yeah, I mean, I know I pitched Brian Tyree as like, oh, he should be the villain last week, but like now thinking about it, if like it's Dennison and Brown together, and then like Brian Tyree is like the authoritative yeah. figure <laughs> of the group. Like, but like, he's also like mm-hmm. freaking out about the whole thing. Like that'd be so good. Um, so yeah, I mean, good for David Bashir. I thought he was good in the nun. I mean, I didn't really care for the movie. So seeing him take a next step, step up with the Warner brothers seems, um, they're obviously proud of his work. They're happy with it. So good for him. Um, we also got word this week, courtesy of variety that Tim story is going to direct a live action CGI hybrid Tom and Jerry movie. Um, production is projected to begin, I believe early or at some point next year. Um, and that they Friday also confirmed that unlike other, you know, CGI hybrid movies that, you know, star stars, which in this case is a mouse and a cat that, that do not speak in the cartoons. They're not going to add voices to them for the movie, which I think is interesting to move, but I like the Tom and Jerry cartoons I did as a kid. I 
haven't thought of Tom and Jerry in probably a Same decade. Um, as even though like I did love them as a as a child, but like so I'm this is cool. Tim Story's not the greatest director out there, but I think he can deliver a fine family friendly movie. As long as it doesn't star Kevin Hart, I'll be okay. <laughs> like I want like give me give me, give me Lakeith, give me Lakeith Stanfield, who is like sort of like like projecting on a cat and mouse uh-huh. playing these games or something like that, that would be perfect. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be high or anything, but I think that would be pretty good. Yeah. Okay. I would love that. I'll take it. Um, then we also got a few release date changes we'll mention here at the end. Uh, Fox moved Death on the Nile from December 2019 to October 2nd, 2020. And then Disney, just a few days later, moved Jungle Cruise from October 2019 to July 24th, 2020. Uh, many are viewing these moves along with some others as some unofficial corporate synergy between the two mm-hmm. <laughs> as they ready to align their schedules once the um, acquisition of Fox from Disney goes through. So I'm a little surprised Death of the Nile got pushed back basically a full year because casting was gearing up. I mean, they got Gal, they got Army, and now they're like, oh, it's going to take another year. It's like, this isn't like a giant CGI fest that's going to require a bunch of work and post. So it surprised me that this one would get delayed and that, but Jungle Cruise, I'm also surprised it's delayed because it's already wrapped filming. <laughs> So to have to wait for it for like a year and a half Mm -hmm. is surprising. But going from October, which even though it's currently being proven to be a lucrative um, month at the box office, if you turn out, you know, good product. Yeah. Disney moving it from October to the middle of the summer, I think points to them being like, we got it. We got a good, good thing on our hands. Yeah, exactly. Um, I totally agree with the Jungle Cruise thing. The Death in the Nile thing, though, I mean, if you're going, you want to pack your cast with A plus players. Mm Mm-hmm. So you're gonna to have to move things around. Plus, it's getting out of Star Wars this way. That's true. And I and I know that it's a really good competing film for it, but I think just hedging your bets on a 1.5 billion dollar movie mm-hmm. is, 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 a, is a good call for a lot of people. I mean, they've already got Godot and Hammer, but I mean, if they're gonna grab Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga as well to add into this, <laughs> um, yeah, you're gonna to want to make sure you have as much runway as possible. And I just think it gives Kenneth Branagh much more to, a, a, more time to get a better film yeah and yeah but other than that i can't wait and plus it also gets out of knives out's way because knives out's looking to drop sometime in late 2019 too right probably yeah because it's supposed to start filming this year mm-hmm. so two murder mysteries a year is probably too much so i think it's more of just the fact that in a few months death on the nile is going to be a Disney property and Disney not going to release two major releases on the same weekend. So, oh, that too. Yeah. Like, I, like you I mentioned, think of that. Star Wars 9 comes out that same day. They're Fox will be like, yeah, we're no, we're not talking to Disney, mm-hmm. but we're just going to coincidentally move it away from a major Disney release. I was giving them rationalization for the non sure, 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 aspect. Sure. But also, more faith in Jungle Cruise. Um, the date it moved to was previously held by a, an untitled MCU movie which is now not on Disney's schedule. So either we're getting only two movies from Marvel in 2020 or they're going to rearrange more of their stuff. Either way, removing an MCU movie in favor of Jungle Cruise, again, I think just points to confidence in The Rock and Emily Blunt delivering a giant family adventure film next, or I guess not next year anymore, in 2020. Yeah, and he tweeted it out, so it is... It is official. I was going to say, it's a rock-solid date now, (laughs) but... um, That was good. Yeah, he, he wouldn't have announced that if had it 
changed. Yes, because they yeah, because well, I mean yeah, they had previously set it for 2019. So, or had they expected that it would change again? True. Yes. So uh, that is all we have for the news this week. Um, next week we'll be back with a review as well. I think. I don't know what we're going to review though, because I don't think there's any wide releases um, that are particularly of any interest to us. So we'll figure it out if we don't do a review, maybe we'll do like a list episode. We'll try to get Colton on or something. A retro, um, a retro it's review. A it has been a while on one of those. Uh, the original Blade Runner. We'll figure something out. <laughs> we always do. So uh, just stay tuned to figure out what we do next week. And we'll also be back this week with a big question. Um, so be on the lookout for that as well. If you enjoyed this episode, though, please subscribe, share, reach to more. Plus, our iTunes and give us a five-star review. And if after you do so, you be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything covered by Tweets at Friendly Film. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at MovieCooper and Coops underscore Hoops. And you can get at me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. Thanks again for tuning in to the Defenseful Podcast, Josh. Thanks for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to turn next week for our future episodes.